False Neutral Podcast. This is episode 107 for December of 2020. And all three of your hosts are here this evening. Uh, Garrett and Eric, how are you guys doing? Howdy. Doing well. Surviving. I'm wondering how many feet of snow you have now, Eric, at your None. house. None. What? We have we had a um, light dusting a couple weeks ago, but that's been it. It's just been mostly in the... Uh, like the low to mid thirties, occasionally high uh, mid forties, and yeah, I mean it's cold at night and there's frost and ice yeah. in the morning, but um, yeah, and we get this. This is kind of standard. It's usually after the first of the year that we get the big snows. So I just have to say, and because we went yesterday, I took my kids for the first time sledding. Like they've never been snow sledding before in their lives until yesterday, and I saw on the sledding hill this kid had. What it was kind of like a little tiny miniature snowmobile, but it was a sled. So it just had like two skis and then you sit on it and it has handlebars and then a sled on the rear. And now I'm like trying to find out where to buy one of those. (laughs) Now, like my kids are obsessed with sledding now and that little uh, snowmobile looking sled looked so cool. So by by the way, uh, circling back to last month when we were talking about the um, the Harbor Freight motor. Uh-huh. And throwing that at different things. Yep. So there is a, um, what is he? He's a, uh, a physics, uh, engineer or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And it just randomly came up as, as a recommended video in, in YouTube. And he is taking one of those engines and he's going to put it in a go kart, but he's basically making his own, um, free valve motor like in the Koenigseggs. Like he's basically oh, yeah. engineered his own like pseudo pneumatic valve kind of deal. And it's mm-hmm. like machine machined a new head for it or the new top end of a head and stuff. It's yeah. I just. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. And to add on to that, the motorcycle that I was talking about on the last episode, my buddy had a, you know, old abandoned KX 125 and he put the Harbor Freight engine in it. He took it on its uh first ride the day before yesterday it was you know kind of like the shakedown ride and everything worked but there are definitely some uh modifications that need to be done but it like works and it went down the street and it was surprisingly (laughs) fast i will say um and so when we run it again this next time work a couple of bugs out i'll take a video of it but um we're doing some re-gearing because the way that it's geared right now it will do at least a thousand miles an hour. (laughs) (laughs) We just, you know, need to give it a little bit more bottom end and a little less, you know, light speed down the straightaway. So, um, but it works kind of cool. So at any rate, had to share that. That's cool. Uh, Mike Festiva, the guy that did the predator powered, dirt bike that we were yeah. talking about yeah he's he does a bunch of predator powered things in general yeah. he did a little dump truck and he's now building a six-wheel mini what do they call it a pinsgauer the uh-huh. yep off-road yeah he, the austrian yes that's right yeah and he's building a like scaled down replica off uh the running gear from a Polaris six by six ATV. And he's just getting into that now, but that's, uh, we should, uh, we should try to get him on this show. I wonder if he'd do that. We should reach out to him. I really like that idea. Cause I have to tell you guys that the whole discussion of the blaster bikes and the, uh, predator powered bikes mm-hmm. got me to spend some money. <laughs> I was looking at, okay, if I wanted to do some kind of engine swap of my own, cheap and fun and small, to just go down fire roads on, what would I be looking for? 
single tube backbone frame so you can put whatever chopper tank on it, you know. Uh-huh. Okay, and I don't want a down tube in between the swing arm pivot and the engine, uh-huh. you know, because some of them they have the swing arm is split and it goes on the outside of the frame. Well, that really complicates trying to put something else in there. Yeah. And I also was thinking if you wanted to do a blaster, you'd have to do double down tubes. It's got a central exhaust port on it. So I was like, okay, single down tube, no frame tube in the center where the swing arm mount is Mm -hmm. and a double cradle frame. Well, a SST or a, Shinsang Tong uh-huh. was Taiwanese company in the early 70s, and they sold bikes as SSTs. They mostly sold mini bikes, and they actually built engines for, I believe it was Yamaha and Suzuki. They were building 125 and 175 Yamaha two stroke motors. Well, they decided, well, we can just build these for our own frames and they were already building them for the Japanese, but they licensed the right to manufacture them for their own frames. And if you go out and you look, they sold them as Gemini and Panther motorcycles, but they, the company was actually marketed as SST. They built this little 175 that used basically the same thing as a Yamaha CT1 motor, Mm -hmm. but it was a different frame. There was one on eBay that was like, I don't know, the guy was like $189 or something like that for this SST175 frame. Well, then he lowered it to $125, including shipping. (laughs) So that's when I started watching it, and then I got one of those, hey, uh, special offer emails of, since you're watching this, the vendor has offered this to you at a special reduced rate. It was $94 shipped. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, so you hey, skip Starbucks for a month, you're good. I was like, <laughs> even if I hang this in my rafters and never do anything with it, just the fun factor of figuring out what I do with it yeah. is worth it. I was like, yeah, okay. So it's going to be here Wednesday. So I've got this bare frame, but I started digging through all my stuff. And with so many things that I've tried, I got two spare sets of forks. Uh, I got a couple of hubs. I've got a bazillion shocks. I got three swing arms. I bet I've got most of the chassis parts for this. Now, the big question is, what do I want to put in it? If I could find a used blaster motor that's rebuildable, that would be really cool. But if it's got enough room that I could squeeze in a Predator motor with the torque converter on it, because they kind of hang off the what, side weird and they don't always mm-hmm. fit in really well. So I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I don't know if I'm ever going to do anything with it, but I'll put it out on Facebook once I get it and and figure out what I might have that I might play around with. So, yeah. When I can't sleep at night, I've been taking out my iPad and I've been looking through trying to figure out what what components could I use to match up to this. And yeah. and I'm thinking something with no lights, not try to plate it, not try to, you know, get it street legal mm-hmm. and not try to make a real serious dirt bike out of it. But just something that I could put like dual sport tires on. And just go out and fire road. Not that I have any fire roads around here that you don't need to be legal for. Mm-hmm. Very cool. That would be fun. Garrett, you've been busy getting a new house. I assume you have not done a whole bunch on your own projects because that would be asking a lot. No. The only thing that I did was on my Z50, the original fork uh, extension tubes were junk. and. I ordered some Chinese ones to replace them, but they were XR50 forks, which, as I learned, the the brake is actually on the other side of an XR50, uh. which actually doesn't really matter because you can reverse the fork legs, but there's also mounts for fork guards, 
And then when the fork legs are reversed, the fork guards end up getting reversed and it's just all kind of weird. So I just like scrapped all of that. I was basically trying to save a nickel, uh, you know, by not getting replacement Z50 fork tubes. I ended up buying replacement Z50 fork tubes. So it's just all going to be the way that it's supposed to. I haven't even touched a motorcycle part in probably the last month or so because I've been so busy. But I'm like finally now at a place where like I bought those fork tubes because I'm intending to start, you know, getting going on these motorcycle projects again. And the good thing is now is I had so many projects that ended basically right up to the point where I moved into this new house. Now I really have a ton of free time compared to the last four years of my life when I was in school and, you know, raising babies and all that. So now I have, you know, my shop all cleaned out. I don't have any other thing to do really besides work on motorcycle projects. So I'm pretty enthusiastic about what I'll be able to get done. And, you know, this next year, finally nice. finish the KX250, you know, that uh, RD350, you know, chassis that I have. And then, you know, I have another, well, the Kenny Roberts RZ that I still haven't really ridden. Um the other RZ350 that I have. So all these motorcycles that I've been stashing away, I can hopefully get some meaningful progress done on them. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I can say mine didn't end up in a fire bin yet. So it's just, <laughs> I that, did have that in itself I, is a success. Yeah, yeah. And I actually was motivated enough with it that I ordered a new set of piston rings for the ones that I broke trying to put on the the old ones I tried to put on. So Although the the interesting story was that when I went to go order them, they were like the normal price, which was I like twenty five bucks or whatever they were, thirty five bucks. But they were coming from Japan, and the shipping on it was a thousand dollars. Was that all? <laughs> yeah. So I so I sent a note to the dude. I said, "Dude, did you mean to have a thousand dollars in shipping here or whatever?" Then it was like fifteen bucks. He fixed it, and I like immediately bought it or whatever. So. <laughs> You know, 10 days later, I got this package and from I don't even know what shipping company it was, but it, it showed up. So the um, I, I should have kept it, but there was a bunch of it was wrapped in a bunch of. Some Japanese newspaper and some Japanese sporting newspaper thing, because some of it looked like kind of like soccer and other was like I had no idea what it was, but it looked like <laughs> some kind of weird combination with a with the charts and 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 what i assume were statistics on it like pochinko pochinko and bingo and something else with just like these garish colors and kanji all over the place and just like oh my god i should have kept it just for just for the novelty of it but i'm like "Ah, i don't need more clutter in my in my life i i had a friend when i was in college that was an exchange student from japan and uh the only reason he came to college in the United States is because he was a fanatic for American football. He was like obsessed with college and, and NFL football. And he, he loved everything American. So he and I got to be friends and he wasn't into bikes, but his brother, he had a younger brother that was, and this was like 91. So he talked his brother into sending me all his old like not like magazines but like annual bike guides that were not like magazines they were like big catalogs of every motorcycle that was sold and i don't know whatever happened to him i somehow in moving getting married somewhere in my life six or eight of these really cool japanese language stuff that had one was from 84, one was from like 88. It was like they had so many cool bikes and they were such a wonderful part of my education about bikes that I would have never heard about any other way. Uh -oh. they, they were in a box somewhere that got tossed somewhere and I didn't realize they were in with something else. So in my workshop, I have made some progress. I don't know if I told you last time, but uh, the brakes are done on Boltakenstein uh, the seat from AirTech. Now I got a seat. The first seat I bought for them was great. This one was so warped. And I actually lined up the back of the seat 
on the frame properly and I took my little angle cube on the front, front of the seating portion of it was four and a half degrees out of true. It warped that badly. I was like, how am I going to do this? So I got a, I wasn't going to use wood. It just seemed really jinky to use a wood piece of plywood for a base. So I got some marine board, some uh, high density polyethylene board, white plastic that's an inch thick. And they had table routers on sale at Harbor Freight for 25% off. So I bought a router and set it up so I routed out where the frame tube should go so it would sit on the frame properly and routed out the outside edges so that it didn't hang down on the outside below the bottom of the fiberglass. And I actually did end up cutting the front seat some and then just screwed it all in and bolted it down. So I've got the seat on there. Right now I'm going through upholstering and figuring out what I want to do for foam and fabric. Rebonded foam, which is the really good heavy-duty stuff, is, like, absurdly expensive. Oh, really? Yeah, like like a one-foot square of it on eBay is, like, 30, 40 bucks. And, wow. uh, and a roll of it is, like, a hundred. I was like, eh, maybe I don't want to go with the really good, durable stuff, considering I'm probably never going to ride this thing. Maybe I just <laughs> get some um, crappy upholstery foam. I was going to say, you could always, like, just buy memory foam from a from a store that does, um, like, cushions and stuff. Like, you can buy it for the, like, to restuff your, to redo your cushions and your, and your couches and stuff. They sell that memory foam. And, um, I've looked at doing it for when we've got to redo our dog beds because to buy the dog beds is expensive, but the memory foam stuff isn't bad. You just, you can buy different densities and different layers and just glue it all together. Yeah. There's some stuff that cuts close to the density of motorcycle seat foam. It's probably going to be a little soft and packed down pretty quickly when you sit on it, but I, I may end up doing that. And I've actually got a sewing machine and have enough experience sewing that, uh, I can stitch together a nice cover for it that won't look amateurish. So, um, but yeah, uh, that's should, speaking of Harbor Freight. Should I be disappointed that the Hercules brand table saw is only fifty bucks cheaper than buying a Dewalt? You know, there's a lot of Harbor Freight stuff now that's like it is so closely priced to the name brand that. I'll just end up buying the name brand. The yeah. only thing is the stuff they've got that's not the central machinery and the drill master. Some of their like low end <laughs> brands really are crap. <laughs> yeah. But their high end stuff is really high end. I think I told you guys that I sold my TIG welder. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, the titanium. Yeah, there are, that's getting close to approaching, you know, like a Hobart or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so. Right. That is true. But, well, and that's a fair point. Some of their stuff has gotten really expensive, but also the quality is actually pretty darn good on some of this stuff. I bought a meat thermometer from Harbor Freight and <laughs> used it for the first time. It came from Harbor Freight, but it has to work at least once. Put it in, took it out, and only half of it came out. <laughs> <laughs> like, didn't even get one use out of it. Uh, it is very, very useful tool for grilling. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's weird. Like the Predator engines, everything I've heard is yeah. some of the components, like you know, the crank bearings in the crankshaft and everything, are really good quality, and other things. Uh, like the flywheel or the impeller yeah. fan or whatever it's called are like really crappy. And the, the little governor gear in it, it's just the, like this little cheapy piece of plastic. In, in that, uh, in that video I was talking about and I posted it in the chat. Um, the guy, when he's taking his measurements for some stuff or when he's getting ready to machine stuff shows how like one of the rocker arms doesn't exactly hit dead center on top of the valve. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a little offset. <laughs> That was funny. So he's like, eh, it's about this, and it's about this. So I just split the difference and called him. Like, <laughs> You're a physicist, dude. I'm, I'm going to trust you on that one. All right. I was talking with some people 
uh, actually a guy from France on Facebook about my Aramaki project. And he's built a single cylinder Ducati. But instead of coming up with a whole arm for the dead Conrad and uh, housing everything, he's like, oh no, you just take the head off. You make up an aluminum plate to go over the top of the piston with a hole in it. And he says, some people actually drill a hole in the piston so that as it's going up and down, the air pressure is just going between the crankcase and the cylinder. Mm -hmm. But he said that can like froth your oil and stuff. It was really what you do is you just have a, have a plate with a hole in the top. And he said, you really don't even get a whole lot of vacuum back and forth. And you just let the piston be the balancer. It's like, it's already the right weight. It's already, and he's like, it's not going to get hot because you don't have any combustion in there. Mm -hmm. It's just pushing air in and out. And actually it, they say it runs smoother because with the arm, the fact that the arm is swinging from one side, it doesn't travel perfectly straight up and down. So you get mm-hmm. some little rocking couple or harmonic weirdness in the in there. So there's like it actually runs smoother with just having a dummy piston going up and down in a straight line. So I'm like, well, I could do that. I mean, I was thinking about how the whole easier <laughs> how much difficulty I was going to have coming up with an aluminum box that I could bolt on. And then I had to somehow mount this arm that I was going to have to have machined to the right size to replace the piston that was going to have to be attached to the rocker box that I was going to have to make. I'm like, Oh, well I can make a big round plate with some bolt holes in it. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That may, that may move up a little bit in (laughs) the priority of things. I know Mm -hmm. When you come across a solution and then all of a sudden that project starts to take priority. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been there. So, and I, that's a good, well, since I'm going to be rebuilding the Boltaco engine and I have pretty close to two complete engines, I think I'm just going to have two folding tables set up in the garage and just mirror them on either side of the garage. And whatever I do to one, yeah. Due to the other. And I'm like, as right. long as I'm figuring out what parts I need and what interchanges and what doesn't, I may end up with two engines. And depending on how it fits in this other frame, maybe it'll get a 200 Boltaco motor in the, in the SST frame. Yeah. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get on to the, our topic. This actually is a theme episode. And our topic is new bikes for 2021. And normally we do this after EICMA and all the big shows in the fall. And unfortunately, this year there just really weren't any shows. So we don't have one place that we can go and look through all the fancy new bikes. But I think off the top of our head, we can come up with the ones that at least interested us. Mm -hmm. What have you guys seen that you were actually interested in, amazed by... Uh, repulsed by or whatever out of the new bikes that are coming out for next year. I think that I know what Eric's going to say. Well, one of them anyways. <laughs> and that is the Aprilia RS660. Yep. I mean, a 600cc sport bike is not um, anything new, um, but, you know, this is not like a 600cc sport bike. It's not a four-cylinder. It's, um, you know, kind of just the front half of a, a Tuano. And although it doesn't make crazy absurd horsepower, I think that just the nature of the motorcycle and the way that it makes torque and low-end power makes it kind of a really exciting style of bike, you know, almost like an SV650, but with more power than an SV650 and frankly looks very, very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's almost like an evolution of of an SV650 in the sense that the SV650 was the evolution of the Honda Hawk um, right. for a sporty, lightweight, naked twin that was affordable and fun, and you could literally do just about anything with it. Granted, the Tuano version of the of this will be more uh, of an of an exact parallel to it, um, but yeah, the the it's pretty exciting in the sense of 600cc sport bikes have got to the point where 
manufacturers aren't making them anymore. I mean, basically yep. Yamaha and Honda have discontinued making them yep. because they weren't selling, uh, mm-hmm. number one. And number two, the power that you had to get was so far up in the power band, you never used it. Where here it's, you know, the meat, it, they built the torque band to be between like four and 8,000. Yeah. Uh, like literally it's a fly, it's, it's flat as a Mesa. And, um, you know, it's, it's built to a budget, although an expensive budget, but still considering what's there, I think it's a, it's a reasonable value for money at 12 grand. Yeah. It's so, which again, it's a lot of money, but you know, but you know, when you, it has a lot of the power characteristics of a big motor, mm-hmm. um, you know, because of that big displacement twin, um, and so as far as, um, you know, like a, the riding characteristics go, this is probably going to be a really fantastic motorcycle. And even though it is expensive, it's um, certainly better than anything else I think that it would be compared to. Yeah, I mean, again, SV650, Ninja650, Honda, CB650. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another one in there probably that I'm not thinking of at the moment. But yeah, it's they're all more middle of the road kind of bikes and this one has more of a point of view being more of a sport bike um but yeah it's it just and the other thing that i kind of like seeing in it is sort of the future styling of aprilia you know the this the, they haven't really changed the style in uh a more decade. than a decade yeah. yeah so um to see something fresh mm-hmm. and you know, seeing how that's translating to their flagship models yep. uh, is cool. Yeah, and then and they said in the next twelve to eighteen months you'll see uh, a Tuano version of it, and they've already said they're doing. I, I think they're going to call it the the Touareg. Uh, like you get yeah. VW, you get a VW version yeah. to sign yeah. off on that for their uh, for the ADV version of it. So yeah, um, yeah, they're going to build the whole thing. And then now I just saw something the other day they're going to do like maybe even do like a four hundred cc version of them. So yeah. I'm sure they'll have to for some countries where licensing mm-hmm. taxes and licensing. Yep. So yeah, that would be probably my number one. Although I have like a sort of one a one one uh, sorry one a and like a two as as choices of things I was pretty impressed with this for this year. But we'll go. Uh, Pete, what do you? I was going to say as long as we're on six sixties, the Triumph Trident six sixty. That was that was sort of my one a. <laughs> yep. I think it looks cool. I I have never been a big fan of the Triumph Nakeds. I always thought they were a little too, what do I want to say, hooliganish and insectoid with the double headlights and stuff. I really like that Trident 660. That's a really nice looking, very clean looking bike, but it still has all the street cred of their other ones. But it... I haven't heard anybody say anything negative about it. Yeah. Some people didn't no. like the styling of the tank. That's about the only thing that I've heard that people didn't like. And, yeah, and it's got it's looked to be pretty high quality, high build compared to everything else, and it's only eight grand. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Well, I was all excited because Kawasaki had this uh, new model announcement that was going to come out. I think it was like right after the first of the month, like December third or fifth or something oh new 21 models coming and it was like okay new versions of the h2 se and the the zx10r got winglets on it and a new fairing mm-hmm. K- i guess it was the klx 250 is now a klx 300 and they came out with a supermoto a factory super which if you go back a couple of years, most had supermoto versions of their smaller dual sports. Honda had one for their CRF 230. Suzuki still has the 400 supermoto. Yamaha did have a version of their WR 250. WRXR? WR 250X? I can never keep them straight. Yeah. WR 250X. Right. They had this... WRXSTI. Uh, they all had them and kawasaki has did have a 250 supermoto and now they've got this klx 300 sm supermoto which actually is a really nice looking bike 
but it is $6,000. And when a 300 Supermoto is $6,000, that just makes that Trident at its price point so much more impressive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, the most unexpected bike is the Enfield 350 Meteor, mm-hmm. which they actually had a bike like that that was, I think, called the Thunderbird. That was kind of not quite a cruiser, but the pegs are a little bit forward and it's got a little bit more height in the bar and a slight step in the seat. And they had one based on the old Enfield motor in India and they just came out with a clean sheet 350 engine which looks sort of similar to the to the Himalayan motor mm-hmm. but it's a 350 and it's an overhead cam motor which is like the first time they've done that at least for a single I don't know if the I think the 650s are it only makes like 20 horsepower and the thing weighs over 400 pounds which in India makes it a perfect bike because they need something that's going to be bomb proof. Yeah. They need something that is going to be low maintenance, super durable, and they don't need all that much power in the United States. I don't think it's going to work. I would love to ride one though. Yeah. I've actually already reached out to uh Brie Poland to say, can I borrow one of these and do smack dab on it next June? Are they going to be yeah. out? And can I get one? You know, I've got a dealer here in town. Can I get one? I think that would just be really cool to prove that, yeah, it's a it's a full-size capable motorcycle. Yeah. Yeah. Why Harley Davidson pulled out of India instead of making something like this? I just don't know. Yeah. I don't think, like you said, it'll work in the U.S. just because... Americans love their big motorcycles and big SUVs and everything else. But for India, it seems like a really cool bike. I would love to ride one. And I think like you were saying also on smack dab, that would be very cool. I don't, she hasn't gotten back to me and she may not, I I may not rate. I think she's, she's traveling right now. I think so. Well, this has got to be just the worst time to try and get a hold of somebody. Yeah. I, uh, was, Interested to see if there is going to be a new KLR. I think that there is some speculation that there still might be a new KLR. Have you? Is there anything you guys know? Well, the, after their bogus introduction, yeah, the first thing that popped up that morning when I checked it was, oh, there's going to be another new model introduction in January. So if you go out to the Kawasaki site, they've got a bunch of new bikes that, yeah. I think it's all of the truly new, not just updated and modified bikes are going to be announced in January. So, yeah. Yeah. And so there's rumor that a KLR will be among them. And so I think that would be pretty cool. The KLR, I think, is still an awesome motorcycle. It's just extremely antiquated. And if they updated it, I'd be very interested in seeing it. The last update was what, about 10 years ago? And it was mostly just styling cosmetic only yeah Yeah. but basically that bike has been the same same for 30 years yeah from like 88 yeah yeah and i think that the new one is supposedly going to be a 650 twin yeah i think it's going to be like a a, the same motor as the uh like 650 versus and the 650 ninja right in an adventure touring kind of thing yeah speaking of that genre of bike of adventure touring not something I would normally kind of look at, even though I, if you were to ask me, I am a Yamaha man, is the 700 Tenere. Yeah. That's come, that there's finally bringing here. And it seems like there's a number of people, uh, granted, I'm not like an ADV guy, so, but it seems, I've seen a couple things of late where like everyone is kind of super excited about that particular bike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, compared to ADV bikes in general, it's, affordable yeah you know relative to a gs blah 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 air air quotes affordable (laughs) yeah exactly and it's probably a good power plant for what it is you know i imagine it would be used more for commuting than Mm off-road but with that being said it's probably a good commuter bike so it kind of fits the bill for a lot of different needs 
yeah. you know, and, and a good package. So I could see why it would be, you know, a very popular motorcycle and a popular category of motorcycle with these yeah. smaller displacement ADV bikes. And, and I think if that's the, there's two other bikes that I kind of had on my list. One was the 850 Triumph Tiger and then the 890 uh, KTM Adventures. Yeah. Um, and if there's I think if there's a theme we've seen this year, especially it's that, well, <laughs> What what now qualifies for middleweight ADV, which you know ten years ago would have been a big bore bike uh, at you know eight 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 fifty to nine hundred fifty cc. Um, that that I think we're finding a sweet spot where okay the bikes aren't six hundred pounds now and yeah. you know you not you don't have to put a hundred and sixty horsepower motor into it to to get around a six hundred pound bike where yeah. these are closer to five hundred pounds and if you have a hundred to 120 horsepower that you're in you're in good shape and they're again air quotes affordable in today's world at somewhere between like 12 and 14 thousand dollars so i mean i think that's a pretty good trend where it does everything anyone could really reasonably expect to be doing and the only reason that you would get the 1200 cc on up versions whether it's ktm bmw or whomever is that you've just been riding these things forever and you like big bore bikes yeah, good point. So, oh, and, and sorry, the last point I wanted to make was with the Triumph Tigers. Uh, I would say Triumph has taken the Porsche 911 model and ran with it because there are 19 different models <laughs> of Triumph Tiger. I just pulled up the U.S. because I was looking at it. There are 19 different models of a Tiger. <laughs> ranging anywhere from 12000 to $22,000. I'm like, wow, how very Porsche of you. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, if you if you go look at the 911, there literally is like 19 or 20 different versions of 911. So, yeah. Yeah. Same with Mini Coopers. Yeah. 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 That's pretty funny. So 100 percent switching gears here. Um, but something we have to talk about is the 2021 Honda Trail 125. Yeah. Piggybacking on the monkey. Mm-hmm. you know, And now we have the Trail 125, which I think is the most excellent motorcycle of 2021. And I will fight anyone that disagrees. With me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so in the past couple months, I was working on a friend's Honda trail 90. And so the bike is kind of beat and it needs a lot of work to make it even roadworthy. And I was thinking about how, a newer like Honda monkey really isn't that much money compared to what it costs to make, you know, one of like an older Honda to restore it and make it all functional. Mm-hmm. The fact that they've made them really true to the original styling. I think that it would be just as cool to have a 21 Honda trail 125 as it would be to have a 1970 Honda trail 90. Yeah, I just love how uh, consistent they are with their their styling and keeping it like it's a vintage bike, but it's not. It has ABS on it and all these other features that new bikes have. Perfect for the city and trail riding. Avi did a review of it on Bike Curious, and he had a couple of little things that he complained about. One was there are no passenger accommodations in the United States, and there is in every other country in the world. He also said that he thought that in some ways it was not as practical as the Super Cub. Mm. I don't remember all of the details, but go out and watch the the video that he did. He did say it was incredibly fun. Yeah. And it was surprisingly capable off-road. I think this bike is perfect for mounting to the back of your RV. And when you're on a road trip, you have something that you can, you know, ride into town or ride on local trails or, you know, do things like that. It is probably not a practical motorcycle if you're looking for something to ride every day. I don't think that's really what it's intended for anyways. But um, for what it is, though, a 125cc trail bike, I mean, it really is just like um, the, the trail 90 from back in the day. And it's, you know, a really cool little trail bike. And you could probably um, ride it in a lot of different applications and have a lot of fun. Well, I think there are a lot of quote unquote trails in my yeah. area in the Midwest 
that they're kind of overlanding routes. Yeah. But they're really dirt roads. Right. You need to be plated. They're legal roads. And it's not like you need to have a Jeep to get through them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're just unpaved farm roads. And that would be the ideal vehicle for just getting out on the back roads. And if you run out of pavement and it turned to mud and it's got some puddles in it, I'll just keep going. It's not like you're trying to do big whoops on a motocross track or you're not trying to scramble up a mountain. You're just going wherever you go and you just keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, $3,900, I'm sitting there thinking, like, yeah, you're going to spend two grand on parts to go fix a, a Trail 90 and then if your yeah. time's worth anything, yeah, exactly. Yeah. With this, you get... Uh, fuel injection. Fuel injection, so it's you're not going to have to sit and let it warm up for five minutes like you did with some of the older ones. And if you don't ride it for a month, it's not going to be all clogged up in the carb and stuff. Electronic yeah. ignition. <laughs> I was going to say twice the horsepower. Yeah. yeah. And there's there's that. And it's not too heavy. It's 260 pounds, so that's not horrible. Mm-hmm. One more bike that just got announced today is Moto Guzzi's V7850. There's two versions of it, the Stone and the uh, Special. It's basically the V7 bodywork that they've had, but with the engine, swing arm, and final drive from the V85 TT. So it's got 20% more horsepower. I, I think it's excellent. I think they're going to sell a lot of them because the one complaint everybody had about the V7 is it was just dog slow. Yeah. I think it's really cool. It does have traction control that you can turn on and off, but it doesn't have the cool TFT screen. It doesn't have all the, like the cruise control and a lot of the electronics that the V85 TT had. I was really hoping for something that looked a little bit more like the old, uh, like Le Mans. Mm-hmm. This truly is just a V7 with a bigger motor and a stronger rear end on it and a little bit wider rear tire. Because one of the problems with the old V7 is they couldn't put a wider tire in the back because of the the spacing of the drive shaft. It's a neat bike. I like it a lot. I think it's a big improvement, and I think they will sell a lot of them. I was really hoping that there would be some kind of a a retro Le Mans looking. And this is more just 70s Italian standard. Yeah. Uh, to look at it, you could walk past this and not know it was a, the V7 from two or three or four years ago. So, yeah. Uh, I There's a some more other bikes that have come out and I don't care about them. <laughs> uh, the integral winglets on the ZX11. Yeah, couldn't care less. Yeah. <laughs> Ducati's got uh the, the new, new monster. monster. Yeah. Everybody's making a big deal that it doesn't have a trellis tube frame on it. Like, oh, they've given up on the thing that made the monster look like the monster and yeah. I think there's been enough different versions of the monster over the years and it's always been kind of a mass market motorcycle. It's never been like an enthusiast motorcycle. It's been their entry level bike. Bread and butter, yeah. So I'm like, yeah, you don't want to put a trellis frame on it to make it lighter and cheaper and stiffer. I I can't complain about that. I don't think it's yeah. the greatest looking bike. No, the headlight and the tank are, are just not good. I don't think it looks awful, but I'm not really interested in it anyway. Yeah. But I realized their old motor was not Euro 5 compatible. So if they wanted to stay in the business of selling motorcycles, you got to do what you can legally do. And I don't think it's bad. I just, the, um, the one thing that I think it was on 44 teeth in the last week or two, when they were talking about something, the, uh, you know, everyone's complaining about Euro five and it sounds like Euro six regs are coming very quick. And I'm not sure how it's going to affect motorcycles, but for cars, pretty much every new car is either going to, ha- is, is at least going to have to have some kind of hybrid, to it to pass Jeez. Euro six. Yeah, it's it's pretty obnoxious. It's gonna be interesting to see how that's gonna affect the motorcycle industry in another again, three, four, five years. I think the UK has already said that I forget what the date is, but they're twenty thirty. Yeah. 
they're going to get away from combustion engines altogether. I yeah, wish no. motorcycles could benefit from like a mileage exemption because you expect to put 100,000 miles on a car, but you expect to put, you know, a few thousand miles on a motorcycle, even though they're gas powered and, you know, not as, uh, as, as efficient as maybe they could be. Um, but do they really need to meet such strict specifications like the automotive industry does? You know, like, can we allow motorcycles to emit just a little bit more CO2 or whatever? Yeah. Well, actually, they, they do emit a lot more greenhouse gases and particulates than cars do per mile. And so they're already kind of getting a break. So, yeah. But I agree, they don't get the average... Well, I shouldn't say that. In the United States, it's a little different. In developing countries, and even in, like, the UK, there are people that commute by motorcycle most of the year Mm -hmm. and may put as many miles on their motorcycle as they would a car. Some of it is in the United States, we drive a whole lot more distance in our cars than people do in other countries. Yeah. That's a, that was, Most people aren't uh, commuting 50 and 60 miles or 30 and 40 and 50 miles in the rest of the world where, like we do here, like 15, 20 miles is a lot in a lot of, in most other countries. Yeah. Right. Um, if you're interested in what Euro 5, Euro 6 is to come uh, on YouTube, the channel Harry's Garage, he did a video in the last week to 10 days talking a lot about the future of cars in in the well specifically the uk and how like collector cars and collector motorcycles potentially going to be or not going to be affected by this and while he mainly focused on cars harry metcalf is a huge huge motorcycle guy i mean he has a collection of pretty much every single model of a bike that ran in paris dakar in the in the 80s and early 90s if there was a model of it sold he owns it wow (laughs) So he's got a ton of Hondas and Yamahas and some KTMs and stuff like that. So yeah, he's got quite the quite the bike. I think he's got like thirty five or forty bikes wow. on top of not a big collection, but a very nice collection of cars. So have you guys been watching any of Alan Milliard's YouTube videos? He's he's making content pretty regularly. Uh, he's got like a hundred thousand subscribers to his YouTube channel. Either, I know. pardon. I said, I didn't even know that, and I would have been really interested to know that. So thank you for bringing it up. He's got, like, build videos for his Z1 Super 6 that he did. He just did a video on his Kawasaki 500 Twin, which I did not realize he made because he had leftover parts from making a uh, taking an H2 and making a four-cylinder. Like a uh-huh. leftover part, so we put them together into a twin. And, uh, because <laughs> what else could, would you do? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, he's got, uh, videos on how he built his Viper bike and what it's like to take it out and run. The center stand on that, you flip it down and he's got a ratchet that attaches. Yeah. <laughs> You're stomping on a ratchet one step at a time, getting the thing to pop up on the center stand. And he's got this very, Almost like NPR kind of really mellow voice. Hello, today we're going to look at my 500 twin. Thank you for joining me. And everything is, it went together great and I was well pleased. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if, if you haven't checked out Alan Milliard's YouTube channel, it, it is one of, I think, the best combination of really enjoyable presentation and absolutely fascinating content that you'll find on YouTube. Yeah. I'm going to look that, look at it up tonight. Uh, Mike Festiva is is the guy that does all the stuff with the predator motors. Mm -hmm. Check out his channel. Who else have I, I've been watching a lot lately. Unfortunately, there hasn't been any stuff from bad obsessions, motorsports on binky. So I'm a little, I'm going through withdrawals on the Binky project, but I realized that they kind of got shut down by COVID. As we're recording this yesterday or two days ago, um, really cool 
like documentary and, and literally I'm using the word and using that very specifically uh, video from 44 teeth uh, JH, JHS racing and sort of like the history and like mm-hmm. he, he used to be, you know, he used to race all the time and how he's, you know, built the shop up and stuff. And, um, and I'm not, I won't spoil it, but apparently in about 2006, he had a real nasty wreck and uh, he talks about it and they, you know, show the scars and not, they're not pretty. Um, wow. But it was really, really well done. Like it was, it was just something completely different you didn't expect from them. And I thought it was actually really good. So, hmm. yeah, I'll have to watch that. I made a chain guard for the Boltaco and it was okay, but it looked really homemade. So I really wanted to up my game some on my metal fabrication. So I, I think I may have talked about this last time. I ordered a, a bead roller from Eastwood and I ordered some dimpling dies, some flare dies. And that got me to watching Ron Covell. I don't know if you guys know him. Mm-mm. He does mostly car stuff, but he is absolutely a master of metal fabrication, sheet metal fabrication, bicycles, cars, you know, bomber seats, things like that. And he's really interesting to watch. He and this old Tony did a kind of a crossover thing where they built the world's most extravagantly crafted dust pans. Yeah. Ron, Ron Covell did these aluminum dust pans and this old Tony did uh CNC formed handles with wooden inlays and they made, they each made two. So they each have one of these and it's the most gorgeous dustpan you'll ever see. But if you go out and check out Ron Covell on YouTube, he uh, is also very interesting and does some truly amazing stuff. And if you do anything with sheet metal work, you will actually pick up tricks that you can use. It's not like he just like, and then I hit it with a hammer and then it was gorgeous. He'll actually show you how to, you know, when he uses uh, molds and forms and stuff. So. Well, thank you very much, guys, and thank you, listener, and we'll be back in January, and till then, I don't know if it's riding whether where you are, but if it is, ride safe. If it's not, stay warm, stay safe, go get vaccinated when you can. And remember, give the double finger to 2020. (laughs) (laughs) And we will see you in a new year that will hopefully not stink. So long. (laughs) 